we're on our, our 2020 vision series for the next few weeks, and I want to just continue to uh, move forward on that and, and really felt a, just a strong unction from the Holy Spirit about what to share today. And, um, and we talked about last week really the power of the Word of God. And, uh, I, you know, for those of you that missed that message, I really want to encourage you to go online and to listen to it again, um, simply because uh, there was such a, an anointing last week to really call us back to the discipline of getting in the Word of God and getting the God's Word within us. You know, God's Word is not just seed for thought. It is actually supernatural seed that reminds us and compels us to understand that we are connected to a supernatural God. And uh, so the, the Word of God is not like any other book. And, uh, you know, the more and more that we can spend, the closer that we will come to know the living God. And so I want to encourage you with that first kind of, a, we called it a habit of developing in 2020. We call it the most success, if you want the greatest success, it's the greatest success habit of 2020 is to get into the Word of God to a greater degree. But I want to talk about today what I feel is another tremendous habit that each one of us needs to understand that the kingdom of God is put forward as this is how you live your life in the fullness of life. This is one of the key habits that you need to understand. And that really is the power of fellowship. The power of fellowship. One of my uh, favorite movies of uh, the last decade is uh, The Lord of the Rings. And uh, I love the books growing up as a kid, reading them. But, uh, you know, we can debate whether the book's better than the movie, all those things. It doesn't really matter to me. I love the movies. And in the movies, there's this incredible fellowship that happens, and they call it the Fellowship of the Ring. And there are two characters in particular that form this relationship and this friendship that really is a friendship of the ages, and we're going to watch just a little video clip, and I'll explain it to those that are going to be watching this later, what we saw in the video clip in just a moment here. We're going to watch that. Somewhere in the wilderness. I wonder if we'll ever be put into songs or tales. What? I wonder if people will ever say, let's hear about Frodo in the ring. And they'll say, yes, it's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was really courageous, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy. The most famousest of hobbits. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> You've left out one of the chief characters. Samwise the Brave. I want to hear more about Sam. Frodo wouldn't have got far without Sam. Now, Mr. Frodo, you shouldn't make fun. I was being serious. So was I. Samwise the Brave. Amen. Samwise the Brave. The reason I showed you that clip was this exchange between these two characters. For those of you that have seen the movie, they just go through the most epic journey of, of life together basically facing the forces of darkness together, their willingness to help one another, their love, their friendship, their self-sacrifice. All of these things paint a picture of what fellowship really is meant to be. 
And uh, like I said, it was kind of one of those pictures of the fellowship of the ages kind of thing, if you want to call it that. Samwise, Ganges, and Frodo Baggins having this incredible relationship. But I want you to understand something, and this is going to be very hard to comprehend, is that the fellowship of the saints is actually more powerful than the fellowship of the rings. That's the fellowship that you are part of and the fellowship that I am part of. The depth of this is a a word in the Greek called koinonia. Our fellowship of Christian assemblies is that word, koinonia. It's that connection, that oneness, that uh, shared life together. The word is actually communion or common union, that you and I are so connected. We are so connected We are so uh, bonded together in a shared life that you need to understand the depth with which God is building this fellowship together with himself and with one another. This part of this fellowship is a much deeper word than the word community. You know, we thought about calling this the, uh, you know, kind of the power of community, but then as we really reflected on it, it's not a proper word. The word in the, in the proper word in the Hebrew and the Greek is this word fellowship. And uh, because the word community really implies individuals making a choice uh, to be part of something. And so there's this celebration of individualism becoming a community. But actually, that's not the word in fellowship when it comes to the connection of the body of Christ. Is that we have been connected because of the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the sacrifice that he has made, he has built a fellowship with himself. And I want you to understand the fellowship that you're invited into. This is mind-blowing. And the fellowship that you and I are connected to is actually the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're not being invited to become God. You're being invited into the relationship that they enjoy. This is what the the gospel is all about. It's actually an invitation to come and enter into a fellowship with God because of the sacrifice of his son, because of what he has done, he has actually opened up the kingdom of God to you and to me. And there is a fellowship that is available to us that is eternal. Uh, There's a fellowship that is available to us that is internal. There's a fellowship that is about communion with the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's about living with God and doing life together with God. And I want you to understand that fellowship exceeds anything that you can ever watch in a movie or experience or, or, or be part of outside of the kingdom of God. There's a fellowship available to you and to me that I don't think we fully appreciate nor do we fully understand it. And if we can begin to grow in habitually understanding our need for this fellowship, this too can be a habit that can change your life and my life, this life with God. Let me read a couple scriptures that kind of celebrate this. First John chapter 1, verse 3 What we've seen and what we have proclaimed to you so that you too may have fellowship as partners with us. And indeed our fellowship, which is the distinguishing mark of the born-again believer, is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. This is our fellowship that we enjoy. 
It's the distinguishing mark of being a born-again believer. 2 Corinthians celebrates it again. It says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do you understand, church? Listen to me. This fellowship of the believers is a fellowship that was conceived in the heart of God from the foundations of the world in that in Christ we are uniquely connected to him and to one another for eternity. Wow. Well, what does it mean to be in this fellowship? What is it, why is this so important, Pastor Greg? Yeah, it's true, but I'm gonna tell you something. When you joined the church, you didn't join a club. You didn't join a club. You joined a fellowship that is so uniquely connected and intrinsically just pulled together for eternity. These are your brothers and sisters that you are going to spend eternity with. And God wants us to learn how to do that in the here and now. Amen? Well, let's pray because I, I, I've been talking to God a lot this week about how to communicate this to you that you would somehow begin to grasp the immensity of what I'm going to share with you today so that it can begin to shape your life in a different way. And so can you just agree with me in prayer as I ask for God's help? Amen. So Holy Spirit, Lord, you are the spirit of fellowship. You are the koinonia. You are the one who unites us together because you reside in the heart of every single believer in this room. Jesus Christ, you died that we might enter into the fellowship of the saints, the holy ones that have been set apart to have communion with you and with one another. Holy Spirit, I know that you are wanting this to become very real in the hearts and minds of your people. And so show us what that means for us individually and collectively in this church today. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, how do we live in fellowship? That's really the question. What does that really mean? And we're going to look at a passage. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. If not, it'll come up on the screen for you. But if you've brought your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. Here's the first thought if we're going to live in fellowship with God. Number one is this. We must push through and draw near to God. Let me read the passage for you as it explains it. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realms. Boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn to give us free and fresh access to him. And since we now have this magnificent king priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood to remove impurity and we've been freed from an accusing conscience and now we are clean, unstained and presentable to God inside and out. A 
can I just make a statement? What you see about yourself and about every person gathered in this room is not complete. Who the people sitting next to you are, if you were to actually see them the way God sees them, you would be tempted to worship them. That is who's sitting in this room right now. The glory of the living God manifesting in a community of people that have come into fellowship with him. This is the kingdom of God. These are the people that you do life with every day. I've shared you the story before, but I want to give you a picture. I've asked the Holy Spirit to kind of give you a thought. And when I first became a born-again believer, I went to my sister-in-law's baptism. I actually showed up at her house and my brother's house. And uh, I showed up there to party with them, to be really honest. That's why I was going over there. And as I walked in the door, my sister-in-law, Kathy, just looked. Something had changed in her. And she just exclaimed to me, I'm born again. And I'm like, what is going on? And then my brother's standing behind her going, oh, man, help me, brother. Like, it's like, what is going on? She had had a transformation. And my brother and I sat down that day and we talked a little bit. And it was this kind of bizarre moment for me because my brother was telling us, telling me, man, we're so selfish. We're so evil. We need God so bad. I'm like, I love God. You don't even know, Greg. And he's going on. I'm like, what is going on with my family? Something has happened. So I decided to go check out this cult that she was part of. So I went to her baptism. And at the baptism, it was kind of like today's service. You know, it was a lot of fun. They were clapping. And I said, well, I love God. I'll clap. That's really kind of different. But okay, I'll do that. And people are raising their hands. Okay, that's fine. And then all of a sudden, something happened that this guy began. Everybody got quiet. And this guy began to speak. And growing up in a, in a, in a church where people weren't really allowed to speak, anybody but the priest, I was like, what is going on? who is speaking out loud in church? So I kind of turned around to see who it was because I thought, I'll do something about this because, you know, you're just not thinking clearly. And all of a sudden, I felt God say to me, it's me. And I can't tell you what happened to me. I became aware that I was standing in the presence of God. And this holy dread came over me, not a terror but a God is in this place kind of moment as a young 20-year-old. And I closed my eyes and I bowed my head and I was like, oh God, oh God, oh God, you're here, you're here, you're here. And when I opened my eyes, something else happened that I will never forget as long as I have breath. I looked at every person in the room And every single one of them was completely white. And and they were radiating something. I come to understand that it was the glory of God. And, And in my mind, I'm looking at them going, this is exactly the words I had in my own spirit. I said, these are the holiest people on earth. 
how haven't I seen them walking around? And I knew that I was a black dot on the whitest of whitest pages, church. I knew it. And I said, oh, what is going on? And that old preacher was preaching. The 86-year-old began to point me out in the congregation and saying, young man, the Spirit of God is on you. I didn't blink. Well, the whole guy preached at me the whole time. There were 700 people present, but he was preaching the whole sermon at me. And he came down and he said, can I pray with you? I said, yes, pray with me. And I became born again by asking Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I've told you this before, but you know, I pastored that church later on as I grew in my internship and I became an intern in that church and grew in my discipleship. I ended up pastoring that church. Do you know that those people did not act as shiny as they looked that day after? I was like, Lord, what is going on? That's why we need to push through to draw near to God, church. Because what God sees is not what we see. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Listen to this carefully. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is the immortals with whom you joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. They are either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. How do you see yourself? God sees you much differently than you see yourself, church. How do we look at ourselves and others? Do we see them as everlasting horrors or immortal, everlasting splendors? We must tear through the veil of our fears and our sins and our biases and our delusions and our disappointments and pressure past our self-centeredness and position ourselves to see accurately who you are and whose you are. You are the saints of the living God. You are the expression of the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. In this room, our people, as I've said, that you would be tempted to worship if God actually lifted the veil off your eyes right now. That is who you are. We need to push through all the things that come to distract, the things that come to rob, to kill, to destroy. Why did I print the foundation last week of you need to get in the word of God because the word of God expresses and shows and reveals and pulls us out of our self-centeredness and reveals the glory of the Lord God Almighty that we are connected to. And without it, we're left to our, incurve, we, we curve inward. Incurvitus in se is the Latin, turned in upon self. And all of humanity is turned in upon self. Church, this is the attempt of the devil to keep us locked in the lie, the delusion, the, the, the thing that has kept us bound. And God is saying, look up, look outward. Look at who you are and whose you are. 
You are my saints. You are beautiful because I've cleansed you from all sin. I've cleansed you from guilt. I've cleansed you from fear. This is the covenant that you've been invited into, church. This is whose you are. It goes on and says, we must hold unswervingly to our hope. Listen to this passage. It just passionately calls to us. It cries out to us. Start to move toward God. So let us seize and hold fast and retain without wavering the hope that we cherish and confess. And our acknowledgement is this. For he who promised is reliable and sure and faithful to his word. Seize and hold fast to the hope that you have. Church, hope is a picture of a preferred future. And who you are today and how you see yourself in the mirror and how you see the people next to you is not what God sees. He wants to paint a picture of hope for you. He wants to tear the veil that has blinded your eyes and reveal the glory that is in every single person next to you. The glory that is looking back in you in the mirror. You are in fellowship with the living God. Hallelujah. Can I call you the beautiful ones? Because that's who you are. You're the beautiful ones. You see, the angels see you correctly. (laughs) They see you and they go, oh, the beautiful ones, the shining ones, those that reflect the glory of God, those that are in Christ. Oh, God, what a mystery. What an incredible thing that you have done, God. That humanity would share in a relationship with the living God. Miracle of miracles. The veil has been torn open. The access to God is available. Cling to the hope. Cling to the hope. Let the word of God breathe and paint the picture of hope for you. You are not what you think you are. If we read the passage earlier in Hebrews 10, it goes, and it says this, it's not going to be on your screen, but I just want to share it with you. Every priest goes to work at the altar day after day, offering the same old sacrifices and sin year out, year in, never makes a dent in the sin problem. That's hopeful, Pastor Greg. As As a priest, listen to this, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down at the right hand of God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. (laughs) The Old Testament, you've heard me say this before. The interesting thing about the priest in the tabernacle and the entrance and to get into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, that veil that was torn to open up God's access to God, do you know there's this distinguishing quality within the temple, and it's this, there are no chairs. Why? The priest's work is never done. Except there's one seat. In the entirety of the Old Testament tabernacle, there's one chair. And it's found in a place called the Holy of Holies. And there's this huge veil that is 
keeping people out of it. And only the high priest gets to go in once a year with fear and trembling. They tie a rope around his leg in case God doesn't accept his sacrifice and strikes him dead so they can drag him out. And he sprinkles on the mercy seat. That's what's called the mercy seat, the blood of Jesus or the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed. (laughs) And he gets out. But our text tells us that Jesus made one sacrifice for all. And then what did he do? He sat down. Where did he sit? On the mercy seat. If you know anything about the mercy seat, it has angels at the top and angels at the bottom and the middle is the mercy seat. And if you remember the story, and I won't go into it, but you're going to have to prove this out later, but if you remember the story that when Jesus died and was buried in the tomb and that stone was rolled away and they looked in the tomb, do you know what the women saw when they looked in the tomb? Two angels. One at the head of where Jesus was and one at the feet of where Jesus was. And in between, he was gone. Do you understand that the way has been made clear, church? You have gained access to the living God. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You know, I love this because it says this in a different version. It says, (laughs) who by one sacrifice has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. God has made you perfect, church. He's perfected you in Christ because you are now hidden in Jesus. When he looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. But when you look at you, you see you. And so you know what you do? You try and, I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to become better. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to try harder. It doesn't work. What you have to do is yield yourself to the truth of what God has said to be true of you and say, God, I submit myself to your word, which declares that I am righteous and that I am holy and that I am pure. And God, one day, one day, God, you're going to take my positional sanctification, my position before you, and you're going to live it out in what I'm experiencing. That day is coming very soon, church. When that which is true of you in heaven will become a reality in your experience. And this is what our text goes on and challenges us to understand if I have this kind of access to God and I have to press in, I have to press in, I have to keep looking for it, I have to keep pursuing it, I have got to paint a picture of hope and allow the word of God to paint a picture of hope that holds me true to the vision that God has for my life. But how do I do that? Can you believe the Bible actually answers us? Listen to what it says. We must encourage one another consistently. Text puts it this way with two gifts that it expresses. The first is the gift of support. Let us consider and give attention and continuous care to watching over one another. 
studying how we may stir up and stimulate and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities. I need to support you. I need to continuously care and watch over you. Why are we a church built with care? Because I care about you. And I'm to live as a disciple who cares. And that care is an invitation. And it's the way in which I guard you and surround you. And I pull you into the truth of whose you are and who you are. It's my calling now. The Holy Spirit resides in you and resides in me. And we're to surround each other. We're to continuously care about one another. This is the high calling of God now. Do you see that the fellowship that we enjoy in eternity is to be lived out amongst the saints? This is the cry of the heart of God. Care for one another. Compel one another. Surround one another with love. And encourage one another to the hope that I have for you. How do we do that? I was thinking, you know, Cain is a great example of this. Cain and Abel. Cain's ticked off at his brother Abel because Abel's sacrifice is more acceptable to God. And so he says, let's go into the field. And he kills his brother Cain, first murderer in the Bible. And then God shows up and he says, where is your brother Abel? He knows where Abel is. But he asks him the question and Cain's response is amazing. He says, what do I, I don't know. And he says these words, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. He's like, Cain, what have you done? Your brother's blood is speaking to me from the ground. It's crying out to you. You've murdered your brother. You've not been your brother's keeper. I'm going to tell you, church, the blood of Jesus Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel says, judge, judge, judge. The blood of Jesus says, mercy, 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 God. You are in fellowship with the living God, church. The people around you the saints of God. They are beautiful ones. You are a beautiful one. You must start speaking life, encouraging one another. You are your brother's keeper. You are sent to watch over and to defend them from danger, from harm, from loss. You are responsible for one another. This is God's heart. You see, we're not just connected to God this way. We're connected to each other this way. 
I'm not responsible for the choices that you make, but I'm responsible for how I respond to those choices. I'm responsible for several things. I'm not res- I need to be careful. Here's the first thing I want to tell you. You're responsible not to kill each other with your words. Cain killed his brother in real life, but you know, the church has been killing their brothers with their words for decades. You're speaking about the beautiful ones when you talk about somebody in the body of Christ. You are speaking about the ones for whom Jesus died. You are speaking when you look at yourself and you hate yourself and you curse yourself. You are speaking about one whom Jesus died for and made beautiful through his sacrifice. Hallelujah. Speak life, church. If you can't say to them, if you can't say it to them, then don't talk about them. If you're not willing, willing to talk to them, then don't allow them. Sorry, I, you read it yourself. I'm just spent. <laughs> say nice things. That's what it's saying. Or don't say anything at all. Amen. Can I tell you, this is a hard message for me to preach. Because I feel the heart of God. How valuable you are. It says in Ephesians 4, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How can I grieve the Holy Spirit? Because if I talk about you or myself the way that I see myself or the way I see you and not the way God sees you, do you understand I'm, I'm harming the Holy Spirit? I'm grieving him because he's in that person. Speak life and hope over one another. Peter shared this at prayer meeting in the morning, and I love it. It's the philosophy of the, it's called Ubuntu, and it's in the African nations. It comes from the realization that each and everyone's life is deeply tied to the other, and the choice to use personal power to commit to the common good as opposed to creating isolation for individual good. And there's a picture I think we're going to bring up. And this is what Ubuntu does. In the African tribe, when someone has done something wrong, they take that person to the center of the village where the tribe surrounds him for two days and says all the good things that he has done. The tribe believes that each person is good, but sometimes people make mistakes, which really cry out, is really a cry out for help to, and to unite them to reconnect with the good person that's within them. As we surround one another and we speak life. God is in you. God is for you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. Ask his forgiveness and get up and keep moving. Because here's the last thing that we need to get from our text. And the key point I want to make today. We have the gift of presence. This is how we live out fellowship now. It goes on and says, not forsaking or neglecting to assemble together as believers 
as some are in the habit for some people, but admonishing, warning, urging, and encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. Live in fellowship. Don't get in the habit of not meeting together. He's calling us to live in fellowship, church. You see, the glory of God, listen to me today. The glory of God is seen in the church as we live in community and and fellowship together with one another. The Bible says they will know that you are my followers by your love for one another in a world whose love is growing more and more cold every day. The church is to be an example and a light shining on a hill. And you're to be able to come into this house and receive hope. You are to be committed to this house. You know, it's been an interesting time. The Bible warns in the last days, this text is talking about in the last days, as you see the last days approaching, all the more commit to fellowship, commit to being connected, commit to the house of God, commit to having a habit of fellowshipping together and not a habit of not fellowshipping together. I was talking with Peter and the staff the other day and it's interesting, our numbers are down in our church service on a Sunday, but our numbers are not down in our church. What we found is we've been studying attendance and we study attendance, by the way. We've been found this, that the frequency of attendance has changed. So people that used to come to church every week are starting to come once a month. You know, the Bible warns that in the last days there will be a great falling away of believers. And I want you to get something and I want you to hear my heart. I want you to know that that falling away is a drift that does not happen like this. It's a drift that happens like this. You know, I was studying habits the other day and this guy writing on the book of habits, he, uh, it's called Atomic Habits, Habits, great book. He says a 1% change in your life today in, in one year will make a 37% change in that area for the positive but he said, if you t- take a 1% change in your life today, it has the opposite effect in the negative. So really, guys, what, what you need to be concerned about, listen to me, is very interesting. You should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than your current results. In other words, if you have a trajectory of making church a priority it will change your life. But if you are setting in a trajectory of just coming when you're, it's convenient, just coming when I feel like it, you're missing the point of fellowship. God has left this us responsible for one another. And he's saying, church, I need you to wake up. We're in the last moments of history. And we are seeing a pattern of people moving more and more away 
from the house of God rather than more and more toward. You know, we work really hard. I want you to hear me. We work really hard to not overburden you with church life. We say, come to church on Sunday, once a week. Join a care group another night of the week. And we even, on the third week or the fourth week, we even say it's carefree week so you're free from that care group so that you can join other things that are happening like prayer meeting or, or the teaching that Pastor Peter's doing on, on Life at the Father's House or different things. We actually pull one week away so we don't add another week to you. We are the least busy church on purpose. The staff are busy because we're trying to create a space for you to live as believers. And inviting you into that. And I'm going to tell you, Mrs. Agri will tell you. I know when you're not here. And one of the things that grieves me the most every week is, Lord, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? I'm seeking your face. I'm preaching your word. Why would people miss church, Lord? What are they thinking, God. They don't know the fellowship that you've called us to, Lord. The commitment we're to have to one another. The responsibility that we have. Your identity in Christ's church is a corporate identity. It's not just you and God. It's you and the fellowship of the saints. And God is telling you in this passage to be committed. Don't get in the habit of not being committed. Get in the habit of being committed. Of encouraging and building one another up. What's your current trajectory in your attendance? What's your current trajectory in your giving and in your serving? You know, we, we cut our budgets this year by one-third or 25%, sorry, because our giving was being directed in, toward the new building and our giving was down. We said, well, cut our budgets by 25%. All the staff took a pay cut this year. Every one of them. Because we're seeing a trajectory away from people committing to the house of God. God help us. You know, you cannot know God and worship God and obey the word of God if you don't understand that you just can't be apart from the church. <laughs> church history proves that out. The scriptures prove that out. The Christian experience proves that out. You know what I find when people are drifting away from their attendance and commitment to one another? What begins to happen is their heart begins to harden and it doesn't happen quickly. It happens very slowly. Imperceptibly. Do you know that all spiritual transformation is that way? Whether positively or negatively? You don't see it. God sees it. And so he's put this guard around us to build this. Let me close with this story.
this young girl named Linda was traveling uh, to the White Horse through Alberta, up to, through the Yukon to White Horse. And it was the middle of winter, and she was in this little Honda Civic. And she gets up there, and she's got to make the pass. I guess the pass, the next jump over is through her mountain pass. And uh, she parks, and she's like, okay, it's too late for me to go tonight. I'll wait till tomorrow. And she tells the guy uh, running the desk at the hotel, wake me at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock wake-up call because I want to drive over the pass. And the guy looks at her like, you're going to drive over the pass in that? Yep. Okay. So in the morning, she gets up at 5, and then she notices it's so foggy. She can't even see the road. You can't see the pass. You can't see anything. But there's these two truckers that are there eating breakfast. And she's the only other person in the cafe. So they say, why don't you join us? So she thinks, oh, okay. So she goes and sits down. They ask, where are you going? She says, White Horse. And they say right away, these two truckers, in that? Yeah, I'm going to, you know, he's like, that's not very wise, he says to her. You're, you don't know what you're going into here. And she says, oh, well, I'm going to try. He says, okay, then we're going to have to hug you. And she gets, well, you're not going to hug me. And he starts laughing. He says, I don't mean like that. He says, what I'll do is I'll drive in front of you with my semi and you follow my red lights, and he will drive behind you to protect that back. We're going to hug you between our two semis and take you over the pass so that you can get there safely. Church, we need to hug each other. There's dangers up ahead that we're not perceiving. And the life of God is lived out in community like this. In the fellowship of the saints. This has to become a priority for you this year. If you want a vision for 2020, you need to commit to the house of God. And if it can't be this church, just find one that you can commit to and be loved in and love others in. But to not make it an option to not be part of the body of Christ.